life has become consumed by Avatar The Last Airbender. And now, as of recording this Legend of Korra, um, I have plowed so deep in so fast through this show that I have literally not had time to actually sit down and review it, which is kind of flabbergasting to me. Um, but I wanted to start the season three review um, backwards because um, this is something that I've like kind of uh, figured out as I've been getting into the goddamn uh, show again. Um, and we've mentioned a couple of times, but I finally got the graphic novels. Well, not all of them. I figured I'd try one and see how it went uh, and then get the rest of them over time. Um, and so I started with the first graphic novel, which takes place immediately after the events of Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'll, I'll talk about the the events itself um, in, in a second, but I wanted to just give a general review. I thought it was pretty good. The writing is pretty uh, one-to-one to the show, which makes sense because the creators of the show had uh, a, a hand in writing not only the Avatar The Last Airbender graphic novels, but the Legend of Korra ones as well. And if you are interested in picking these up, I will warn you ahead of time that the omnibus volume versions of the Avatar The Last Airbender graphic novels in particular are your average size of your book. The Legend of Korra one is like a foot and a half tall. It's enormous. Um, it looks phenomenal and it's like hardback and it's super fucking nice. Um, and it's also much longer than the uh, the Avatar of the Last Airbender. The Promise is the one I read. Um, it's, I believe when it originally came out, it was in three parts. I believe they're trilogies. Um, and you can just get like the volume that tells the whole story. I thought it was pretty good. Like I said, picks up right when the series uh, leaves off. But then after a couple of pages, it jumps forward one year into the future. Um, and it basically talks about... I don't want to spoil it, so I'm just going to kind of gloss over it. Um, it's essentially this... Uh, the the conflict of the story is the Fire Nation colonies. Where the original plan was to remove the Fire Nation colonies. But then after they figured out that some of those colonies had been around for over a hundred years... Right, because Sozin had established the colonies when Roku was alive, so they've been in existence for generations of families. And hey, you know what? They didn't want to leave their home because that's the only home they've ever known. Um, and that makes shit complicated. And through the whole comic, um, they eventually kind of learn what the right thing is, which is the world cannot be divided in the four nations anymore. The world is changing. And now we've got to start allowing cultures to blend and become new and different because that's how people grow and change. Um, which is a nice message. Took a little while for Aang to fucking get there, but he got there in the end. Um, and actually in the comic books, it makes some moves in the lore that I thought was really interesting. Like at one point, Aang like dismisses Roku as his like teacher. And he's like, I got to find my own path. And he, like, burns his Fire Nation medallion, which is, like, his his token to connect to Roku. And he's like, I'm going to figure this shit out on my own. And I'm like, that's really interesting. That it's, like, I don't know. I, I knew it was going to be, like, new stories, but I wasn't expecting there to be, like, those sorts of, like, new elements. I thought it was going to be mostly playing it safe. But I suppose when the creators of the show are, like, involved, you know, you, you can take those sorts of risks. Um, and I think the graphic novels are going to be more important now than 
ever in terms of uh, like Avatar media because with the creation of Avatar Studios, one of the most logical and easiest decisions they could possibly make is to adapt the graphic novels into visual media. Like, they're talking about new shows and new movies and all that stuff. It would be a no-brainer to turn some of those graphic novels into movies or into miniseries. You know, that'd be that'd be the easiest thing in the goddamn world to do. Um, I also want them to adapt to the Kyoshi books in a similar way, but that would probably require a show or a movie simply due to its incredible length. Um, and the fact that there's two of them, and I think a third one is on the way, but I can't find any information to support that theory. Um, I also have not read them yet. But the 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 promise, the first Avatar Last Airbender graphic novel, I thought was pretty good. I haven't read many graphic novels. Um, and if you weren't a fan of the show, there's nothing really here for you. The story is fairly straightforward. Um, it truly has its greatest impact by for, for fans of the show. Speaking of the show, let's talk about season three now, I guess. Avatar, The Last Airbender, Season 3. I have so many, like, memories of actually watching this season live. Um, the most vivid of my memory is towards the end of the show, there, or I guess the end of the show, basically what they did is they did five episodes leading up to, like, the two-hour grand finale of Avatar, The Last Airbender, right? So... The, the 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 final episode, at least on Netflix, is... It's an hour and a half long, because it's really four episodes. But leading up to that, I, I could have... Or maybe it was in the middle. It might have been in the middle, because I remember one of those episodes of this, like, marathon of episodes. It was, like, five days, five new episodes. And they did a new episode every day. One of those episodes was The Puppet Master. And I'm, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I really want to share this memory before I talk about um, the show. I was in Maine at my grandmother's house at the time. It was this gorgeous, like, kind of single room, um, or it was it was a two-story like cabin, right? But it was a it was a loft second floor. Um, the the first floor was like open. There was like no walls. It was very open, and there's like lots of glass everywhere. And the guest bed was in that the middle of that big open room uh, it was like a pullout sofa right in front of the tv and so you know my my uh, my family my mom and my grandmother had gone to bed and so i'm sitting there with like the volume turned down kind of curled up in my blankets watching avatar the last airbender being like oh there's a new episode tonight you know i can't wait to watch it it's dark you know we're in the middle of the woods uh there's there are no lights anywhere and then i watch the puppet master which is arguably the scariest episode of Avatar The Last Airbender um, because of all the blood bending and Hama just being terrifying um, and I'm like she's not scary anymore because I'm a big big strong man who's not afraid of animated characters but when I was a kid that shit freaked me the fuck out and I did not sleep that night like once once you watch that fucking shit like it it destroyed me that's a great goddamn episode but I, I'm getting ahead of myself episode one The Awakening they do uh, a fairly smart move, which is it's a little bit of time since the events of the second season. It is not an immediate continuation. Aang has been out of it for like a week or so. 
Um, actually, I think it's significantly more time because it takes a while for that level of hair to grow. Um, so he was probably out of it for a couple of weeks. Um, and in the meantime, all his buddies done captured. You know what I might have to do? Because full disclosure, um, uh, it has been, oh God, maybe, maybe a week since I actually saw season three. I've been watching, um, Legend of Korra, um, immediately afterwards. And I, I can't quite remember exactly what has happened in each episode. Anyway. Um, they, they meet up with a bunch of their old friends, like, uh, the Duke and Pipsqueak, uh, Hakoda and all of them. They've captured like an earth, earth, fire nation ship, um, as they sail into the fire nation, um, to go and get ready for the invasion plan. Remember from season two, Sokka's invasion plan and it's, it's all going their way and, uh, Aang still needs to... Well, actually, as of right now, they're not concerned about Aang's inability to firebend. They're just concerned about him going to get the fire, fire, fire king, fire lord of Zai. That's that's what they're worried about. Um, and one thing I loved about this rewatch is it's like the Earth King is the one that told Azula about the eclipse. So it's really the Earth King's fault um, that Ozai wasn't there for the invasion. But again, we'll get to that. Um, Zuko and Azula went home and. Uh, Zuko got like everything he wanted, right? He's the prince. He's he's able to go home, and Ozai's like, "Hey, good job killing the Avatar. I'm real fucking proud of you." And of course, Azula's being all sneaky and shit. Um, also, fun fact: in the fucking comic book, Azula shows up in a goddamn straight jacket. That was interesting, but it makes a lot of sense. Um. Uh oh, God, what was I gonna say? It's like this first episode is the second episode. And Avatar The Last Airbender to make me cry. And it is because of Katara's reaction to her dad, Hakoda. Um, being like, how could you leave us, dad? That shit got me, like, right at the core. Um, so, good job on that first episode. But Aang's, like, struggles with his, like, everybody thinks that he's dead and that he failed. And him wanting to redeem himself and try to do it on his own. And him realizing that he, the wiser move is to remain hidden and to you know get deeper into the fire nation and then reveal himself and his struggles with that it's a really well constructed episode um Aaron Azaz um is the is the writer of this particular episode and um he's come from all sorts of stuff including uh the dragon prince uh he's he's one of he helped create that show and if you haven't seen The Dragon Prince, it's like as close to Avatar The Last Airbender as is likely to be. That is not a direct Avatar The Last Airbender thing. Um, and just so we can talk about some of the episodes that he's worked on. Winter Solstice Part 1, The Storm, which was also great world building. Uh, the Fortune Teller, Siege of the North Part 2, The Avatar State, first episode of Season 1. Bitter Work, one of my favorite episodes. Crossroads of Destiny, which is also an incredible episode. Episodes 1, 3, and 19 of Season 3, The Awakening, uh, Day of Black Sun Part 2, The Eclipse, and Sozin's Coming Part 2, The Old Masters. So he wrote some of the most important episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender, and this is, in my opinion, it is the strongest opening episode of any of the Avatar The Last Airbender seasons, and quite possibly any of the Korra ones as well. But I won't say that until I've finished watching Korra. It is... There's, there's very, very little wrong with this episode, if anything, and... 
you know what? I might consider this one to be a 10 out of 10 perfect episode. I fucking love this episode. The amount of emotion that is conveyed so seamlessly is phenomenal. Also, it's made abundantly clear that when this season rolled around, the animation quality and the budget jumped. Not only because the aspect ratio changed from season 2 to season 3 from like 3, 4 of... I don't know what the fuck. It's not 16.9. I don't know what it is, but it's wider. It's it's a wider screen. Um, you know, as things became HD, uh, the quality of the show, it just looks better. Um, and if you were to ask me what my favorite season is, I'm probably going to tell you season three. I adore season two, but there's just something... There's something about season three. It's got this, this X factor, this element to it that is so so fun the whole thing feels kind of like an epilogue which i know sounds strange but unlike a lot of phenomenal shows um that i've seen where you always like want for more after the last airbender like ended so goddamn beautifully and i feel like season three is like its whole ending you know it's it's not more of the story it's the it's the end of the story and you get that sensation kind of right out the gate because you know going into it that this is it. You know, I don't know. It's just it it, it feels it feels really good, and and the awakening is a really great way to fucking get that party started. Episode two, the headband. This episode has a particular place in my heart. Um, if for nothing else than the Aang and Katara shit. Um, I'm a goddamn sucker for that. And no season gives us more Aang and Katara shit than this one. Um, and the two of them dancing in the cave is just so sweet. And, like, Aang's flirting game is just 10 out of 10. It's great shit. Um, but they decide to blend in with the Fire Nation instead of hiding out in caves. And so they steal some Fire Nation stuff and then everybody's got, like, new fancy outfits. Um, which they actually wear until the day of the invasion and then they change back into like their more casual standard clothing that we've we've grown used to them uh, seeing them in ang uh, unknowingly steals a fire nation student uniform and ends up going to fire nation school for a couple of days and then we get my other favorite thing in any form of media which is school hijinks i like weird things when it comes to media i love romance i'm a fucking sucker for good romance and uh i love shit in school because the statement of like you know like superheroes that are students i'm all about because then you get those fun situations where it's like oh no the green goblin is attacking downtown but i've got a midterm to study for what will i do and it's just so fucking like campy and cute and fun and i just i love that shit so spider-man's like one of my favorites there's a new Miss Marvel show coming out on Disney Plus, and that's going to be like that same fucking vibe. Young Justice, Teen Titans, I love all that fucking shit. And so, Aang going to school, like normal ass school, I'm a, oh, I, I'm eating it up with a spoon and a fork. It's fucking great. Um, and he his idea to like help the Fire Nation kids like learn more about freedom through dance, I think is is brilliant. I love that he's a good dancer. I love that he and Katara dance. I love that it actually kind of works. Um, and I love that there's like no consequences for it. And we also got some really great comedic uh, effects with um, Wang Fire. And this is my wife, Sapphire. Sapphire Fire. Pleasure to meet you. And then he's got the beard and stuff. And it's just, 
this this is kind of Sokka says it later with the Ember Island players episode, but he's like, this is this is the kind of wacky hijinks I've been missing. And with how heavy this fucking season is in terms of the intensity and the problems that they're facing, episodes like this are such a fucking breath of fresh air. Um, and the improvement of the romance, 10 out of 10. Am I being overly generous? No. It's a great fucking episode. Episode 3, The Painted Lady. This one's fine. Um, this one is great world building, or I guess character building for Katara. And that's pretty much it. Sokka's master schedule was like never really brought up ever again. Um, and Katara's... The only important thing from this episode, as far as I'm concerned, is Katara's statement of, I will never ever turn my back on people who need me. Which I think is fucking excellent. Um, that is a that is a really goddamn great line. And, I mean, she doesn't. Katara, Katara doesn't do that. Not even in the comic books does she turn her back on people who need her. Um, she is just that fantastic. I've had a lot of people, like, mention to me that they don't like Katara's character. Um, and that's fine. Like, you know, everybody that is entitled to their own opinions. But I think Katara is is great. She starts off kind of rocky, but that makes sense. Because she's a child. They're all children. They should all start off pretty rocky. But the amount of growth that every character in the show goes through by the end of it is... is unparalleled, as far as I'm concerned, in other shows. Like, no show that I've seen comes close to this level of character development. This universally across all of its fucking characters. Um, it is it is a hard thing to accomplish and they fucking did it. And they did it with episodes like this where the one or character is basically at the forefront. Indeed, the next episode, next couple of episodes, actually, for a good long while, these episodes are very character driven and have very little to do with the overall plot, which I think is is a really fun move because the latter half of the season is so focused on the overall plot that having these character-driven episodes at the front makes a lot of sense. So Katara, they go to this town and it's suffering. It's all polluted and shit. And Katara disguises herself as a spirit in order to help that town out. Um, in doing so, delaying the, the party uh, by... Uh, for its like arrival to the the place where the invasion is going to happen, which is kind of hilarious to me that Sokka's like, we're now four days behind, and they still arrive at the rendezvous destination four days early. So I think Sokka just kind of maybe miscounted or something like that. Or maybe they just flew some nights or something. I don't fucking know. But they they everything works out. So Sokka's conf like, frustration with the master schedule means diddly squat. And... I mean, outside of Katara's character building and that one fucking line, nothing really of importance happens in this episode. It's a fine episode. I don't hate it. But if I was going to, like, kind of speed watch this shit, I might fast forward a little bit and just kind of skip along because it doesn't really do much for, for that kind of stuff. Great for Katara's character, but that's about it. Sokka's Master, episode four. What a neat episode. I love the concept of Sokka getting a master, uh, and this show is right that, you know, everybody else has had a teacher to help them become better, and it was Sokka's turn, and he learns the way of the sword with Master Pian Dao, um, who's voiced by somebody that's cool, I can't remember. I actually was checking, uh, there was like a list of, um, 
the goddamn Wurzimajiggers. Uh, fuck. Guest stars. And, and Avatar The Last Airbender, who you might not have known about. The only one that I, I thought was kind of cool uh, was uh, the, the guard that's nice to Iroh in prison was voiced by Serena Williams, the tennis player, which I thought was really neat. Also, Iroh's in prison, um, and he doesn't talk, like, at all. Um, and Zuko keeps going to him for advice, and Iroh just doesn't say anything. Um, at the time, I thought that was because Mako had died and they hadn't found his voice actor yet. Um, and I think that might still be the case. Um, but... I think it's mostly due to dramatic effect. Um, and then Iroh, of course... I think in this episode, Iroh starts, like, getting super fucking jacked and swole. Um, which is just... Radtacular. Uh, and it just mean It just shows that Iroh's a goddamn inspiration for all sorts of things. Not only in terms of wisdom and tea drinking, but fitness as well. And there isn't much to do in prison besides get fit. That's why a lot of prisoners are in really good shape. You're in that cell for a lot of the time. You know what you can do in that cell? Push-ups and sit-ups and other fun things like that. So, I'm not saying that's a that's a pro, but you gotta do something to keep from going crazy, and fitness is a good way to do that. So, yeah. Although, at the same time, fitness is one thing. Like, being physically active, that's one thing. And yes, you certainly do have the time, and you can do quite a bit. But you also need the diet side of things in order to, like, build muscle so I don't know if Iroh was getting enough food in order to make that happen clearly the show thought he was um and I will always give mad props to anybody that can do a one arm chin up that's that's not nothing that that takes quite a bit um anyway Sokka learns to to do the sword thing and he gets his sword and the the rest of the gang are basically talking about how awesome Sokka is for this episode it's the Sokka episode I like Sokka plenty but if I made, like, a tier list of my favorite characters, he'd probably be lower on the list than a lot of people would think. Um, I don't dislike Sokka, but when we're talking about this fucking show, being good isn't good enough, you know? There's some amazing fucking characters in this show, and Sokka's not all that amazing. He's he's great, and I love him, but comparisons don't, don't do Sokka justice. Great goddamn episode, though. I do love this episode quite a bit. Um, and I, I do wonder what happened to that sword, and I hope we find it in the graphic novels. Now, the, the fucking Mac Daddy of character-building episodes has to be The Beach. I love, I love Katara's episode with I Will Never Turn My Back on People Who Need Me. Like Sokka's episode, he gets a sword and some confidence. The Beach develops Zuko, Azula, Tylee, and May all in one fucking episode and it does a pretty goddamn good job of doing that the fire nation kids are sent on vacation they go to ember island and those old fucking ladies are there being like the beach will wash you clean and they do some beach fun and they go to a party and then they get kicked out for being a nuisance and some harsh truths are said but the scene that takes the cake is the fucking bonfire at the beach scene where they all kind of reveal things about their past and yell at each other and Zuko reveals that he's angry at himself for his actions and bossing say and Azula's a cunt and it's it's a work of art I adore this episode the animation's great I love the jokes in it I love the the humanizing of the Fire Nation kids 
Like, Zuko's, especially, because Zuko's character arc goes from, like, 0 to 100 in this fucking season. It's crazy. But we also get a little bit about Ty Lee not wanting to be part of a match set, about May's inability to, like, express herself, um, and then Azula, like, tries to play it off. But we also learn something about Azula's character in this in this episode as well. Not that I particularly care about Azula as far as being a person goes. I think Azula's a monster and should be destroyed. Um, but that's, that's just my feeling. But this one... I say it all, I know, it's, <sighs> I keep saying really positive things about episodes, but this is a great goddamn episode, and it's definitely one of the ones I think about a lot when I think about this show. I will think about the beach episode, because I think it is a, an incredible example of character development, especially all at once, and in 24 fucking minutes, like, you can't ask for more. It's, it's amazing what the show can do in such small fucking windows. It's kind of beggars believe. It just shows how talented these people were when it came to crafting the story and how well thought out this story was from beginning to end. Like, they didn't miss a fucking beat. Everything has a purpose. Even some of the weaker episodes still have importance in terms of the grander story, whether it's not the main plot, but it'll be in the character development or the world building. Something about every episode matters for the sake of the show, and that is rare and fantastic, and I love this episode. The Avatar and the Fire Lord, getting more background on Sozin, voiced by Ron Perlman, <laughs> and Avatar Roku, and how he became the Avatar, and his relationship with Sozin, the development of the 100 Years War, and the impact it has on both Aang and Zuko, not only as the past life of the Avatar, but Zuko's grandfather. I get all of that. That's all wonderful and all well and good. The animation in this is great. The demise of Roku in the end and how Aang came to be the Avatar is all that stuff is really interesting and wonderful. Um, and I like this episode for the world building. But outside of that, I don't have anything to say about this episode. There's no nothing about it really impressed me. It's, it's kind of... I don't want to say it's filler, but it's not as special as some of the other episodes around it. Um, I know a lot of people really love those those historical, uh, like, world-building episodes. Like, there's this one, and then there's the shit in Korra where we learn about the first Avatar, and I'll get to that in, like, five weeks. Um, but this episode's it's, it's just, it's just fine, as far as I'm concerned. It, it does its job, and I nod my head to it, and I drink in its honor. And then I move on. Right off the heels of a kind of meh episode we get the runaway which is a super meh episode um and the only thing of importance about so calling this toff's character building episode is mean because i don't think it's really all that character building um i think it's i don't know what the i don't know the importance of this episode to teach qatar to use her sweat is for waterbending I'm amazed she didn't figure that out sooner. There's water all over the place. It takes Hama to fucking teach her the rest of it. But, I mean... Toph scams a lot of people for money. Katara gets mad about it. There's a little bit of character growth when it comes to, like, Sokka talking about how Katara is, like, his vision of a mother figure. Um, and Katara, like, learns a little bit more and tries to not be so bossy. And Aang's just kind of there. Um, and then, of course, there's Sparky Sparky Boom Man who, whilst being a really neat villain, doesn't really do much, um, and gets himself killed by being an idiot. So, there's that. 
but I do love that that idea did not die with Sparky Sparky Boom Man, and that we get another villain in Korra who has like the same sort of telekinetic bending power. Indeed, Korra builds upon that idea of like psychic bending um, in quite a few ways. So, but again, I'll talk to that in, in a little while. Um, but I will spoil it a little bit by saying I legitimately love The Legend of Korra. Um, and I'm sure if you're paying attention to my reviews, you probably know exactly why. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, the Runaway, I straight up, hand to God, forgot this episode existed. When this episode started, I'm like, what the fuck? Is, did I miss an episode? No, I didn't miss an episode. It's just that this episode is so unimportant to the grand scheme of the show. It had wiped itself from my brain. Especially when it is followed by one of the greatest episodes the show ha ever had to offer. Following the runaway with the Puppet Master does the runaway no fucking favors. Because the Puppet Master is so good. It's... It's terrifying, it's a horror-driven episode, and it deals and invents one of the most, like, obvious and horrific methods of bending that we can see. Um, and in case you're keeping track at home, because I sure as fuck was, that means that there is, like, a next-level form of bending established in this show for everything except air, and we get the air one in Korra, and I'm going to attribute that as pulling the air out of somebody's lungs, which happens in Korra, right? That's like the next level. Like, manipulating the air within somebody's body. That kind of terror. Um, but you got, like, lightning bending for fire bending. You've got metal bending for earth bending. Um, you've got... Uh, or even lava bending, right? We get that a little bit later on with the fire bendings. But with water bending, you get blood bending. And healing. That's another fun bonus for being a water bender. But you get blood bending. And I'm just glad we never saw, like, in X-Men 2, when M Magneto, like, pulls the metal out of the dude's bloods and it, like, pierces the skin. I'm glad the bloodbending never goes that far in the show. But you gotta think, like, if this shit was a reality, there'd be a lot of, like, misted people, right? You just blood, you bend the blood out of somebody's body and it's just a desiccated corpse behind. And that shit's pretty rough. Um, and Hama figuring out to do it in the full moon and that whole fucking story... Katara, like, oh my god. We we learn about how Katara's... Oh, no, we don't learn about how Katara's mom gets taken out. That's in a, that's in a later episode. We learn about how the, the waterbenders were wiped out of the Southern Water Tribe in this episode. And then it's built upon later in a different episode. But this is, this is a phenomenal episode. And it ends, sadly, with Katara basically crying that she now has this horrific power at her disposal... Um, and that's how the episode ends. Any episode that ends on a sad note like that gets it like an extra super duper thumbs up for me because not enough pieces of media that I experience end that way. So anytime it does, I feel like it's it took a risk and it paid off. Um, like kind of like in the the Marvel show What If, the Doctor Strange episode is super is a super big bummer, but it it it, it succeeds because it's a super big bummer. So I just thought that was great. And the Puppet Master, as I, you know, I told you the story earlier in this episode, that one will will haunt me forever because that one night in the woods in Maine, I will never forget this episode. Everything else could fade from my mind, but the Puppet Master episode will stay with me to the end of my days. 
Nightmares and daydreams. This is a weird one. This is a weird one. They showed up at the rendezvous point with four days to spare and Aang fucking loses his beans because of the stress of having to face the, the Fire Lord. I'm not going to bore you guys all with the crazy hallucinations that Aang experiences, but there are some whacked out shit in this episode, which makes it a visual feast for the eyes. Zuko is like spending some more time with May. Um, and there's an upcoming war meeting that he feels like he wasn't invited to, but then he shows up or, but then it's revealed that, you know, he was invited to it and he goes and he has a grand old time. And after the meeting, he was like, I was the perfect prince, but I wasn't me. Who am I? And all that stuff. And, uh, eventually, uh, Aang and his buddies or his Aang's buddies calm Aang the fuck down and go like, dude, you got this. You're ready. You've been training for like less than a year. You're super ready to take out Ozai. Um, and I was thinking about this, um, the other day, because what makes Ozai like any more powerful than any other firebender? Um, and I was, I'm thinking that the, the line, the Royal line of the fire nation is probably the Royal line because their ancestors were more powerful firebenders than any other firebender that was around. And they are just naturally stronger firebenders than other firebenders. I believe that is the case. Think about Iroh. Think about Azula. Think about Zuko, even. Uh, is a pretty potent firebender in his own right. Um, and so, I think they're, they're right to fear Ozai's power. Um, because he is the fire lord. And therefore, is probably an incredibly strong firebender in his own right. It'd be like going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Iroh on a bad day. You don't want to do that. Iroh's super fucking strong. And Ozai is... You know, Ozai is apparently of such power level that even Iroh isn't convinced that he'd be able to defeat him on his own. Um, when they uh, later on ask for him, ask for him to do that. Um, this is a fun episode, and I think it serves an important purpose because, as far as I'm concerned, this is the last like truly whimsical episode that we experience in the show. Full stop. And after this, it becomes super fucking serious. The Day of Black Sun Invasions Part 1 and Part 2. One, I love this episode because we get to see a lot of old familiar faces like the Mechanist and the Swamp Benders and Haru and his dad. And I think that's it. But uh, others, I think, Pipsqueak and the Duke and the the, the Water Benders and, or, or the Water Tribe rather. And that's it. Um, do, do, do. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a moment where uh, as they're they're sailing into the Fire Nation, that Aang and Guitar kiss because he's worried he might not come back, and it's very sweet, um, and all that stuff. Uh, and Zuko decides to confront his dad. I'm basically I'm blending a lot of episodes here. Zuko decides to confront his dad um, because he's like, I've realized my destiny, and I'm gonna fucking bail. The combat in this episode is excellent. We get to see like a proper full-scale invasion. The action's really cool. The different problems and the solutions solved there within. Like the battlements and the, the submarines and that whole fucking thing. The fact that Sokka just invented submarines. He, he helped invent blimps. He helped invent the submarines. Sokka's a pretty fucking smart guy. He's got a lot of good ideas. Um, and it's because of tech advancements like that. Why even 70 years in the future from when Aang, you know existed and died 
and we get shit in Republic City with like cars and planes and shit like the speed of the technological advancements makes a lot of sense thanks to Sokka's like innovations so early on um and of course you know tech moves faster than like any other industry you know the the advancements of smartphones in the last five years alone is kind of mind-boggling and where they're going to be five years from now who the fuck knows tech moves so fucking quickly um but i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit uh they they are pushing up into the 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 main city you know the fire nation palace city and ang flies up there and like nobody's fucking there and he busts in the fire vendor palace and like nobody's there and they he flies back and tells him and there's like nobody's there and Sokka's like well maybe there's a secret bunker and they go to the secret bunker Aang, Toph and Sokka because Toph needs to use her feet to see and they find Azula and Zula's like hello Avatar so you are alive looking for my dad he's not here fuck you and then they fight and they waste like the whole eclipse and they never find him meanwhile Zuko goes to his dad and he's like you're an asshole I'm gonna go teach the Avatar firebending and we're gonna help work together to defeat you. And I was, I was like, you're a little bastard and you, you're you ungrateful and shit. And fuck you. And um, it's more battles ensue and the action's just a ton of fun. Um, but then they tried to, they tried to get out. Like, they couldn't find Ozai. We gotta go. And the, the airships are revealed. Like, the Fire Nation airships. Like, the big Mac Daddy proper ones finally show up and everybody's like oh fuck we gotta go and then they start to run back and the airships just sail right over them and blow up the submarines and they're like we're not all gonna make it you kids gotta go get on up and get out of here um and all the adults are arrested which i thought was a pretty pretty brave move because what what guarantee that they have that they were going to be kept as prisoners why the fuck wouldn't like these people existed and it, we're in the Fire Nation with the express purpose of killing the leader of that nation. The fact that they just end up in prison, like, that's gotta be because it was a kid show on Nickelodeon. Because I feel like Ozai would have fucking executed all of them for, for that. Like, why the fuck wouldn't you? This is the same fucking logic in uh, fucking Harry Potter, right? When the Death Eaters would, like, come to the the Weasley's homes being like where's Harry Potter we know you're friends with Harry Potter and they'd be like we don't know where Harry Potter is and then they go well all right well you have a nice night now we're just gonna leave you alone why the fuck would they do that they're death eaters you know full stop that these are people who work against you have worked against you before and will work against you again it makes zero sense for the bad guys to let them live zero sense none whatsoever why would why would you why would you let them live? Why would Ozai let known enemies who got that fucking close live? Should have executed them all. I would have been devastated if that happened, and so would the characters. But that would have been the logical move. I love the Day of Black Sun double double episode. I think it's really fun. Um, that being said, it's not the the best multi part episode in this season not by a long shot but then that's not a really fair statement because you can't beat this finale <laughs> the western air temple the the aftermath um and what i love about these next couple of episodes is that they're all tied together really fucking closely and all this shit happens pretty fucking quickly 
Um, like immediately as they're sailing away from the Fire Nation, they go to the Western Air Temple to to recoup. And I love the design of the Western Air Temple, the buildings that are clinging to the underside of the cliffs. I think that's really cool. Um, and I believe because we see the southern, the eastern. Do we we do see the yeah. We see the Northern Air Temple, and the Eastern Air Temple is where Aang trains with uh, Guru Patik, and then the Western Air Temple. So we do see all four air temples throughout the course of Avatar Last Airbender, and we see them again in Korra, you know, many decades down the road. Well, I'll get to that later. Um, what's great about this episode is the team accepting Zuko into their ranks to be the firebending instructor and the death of Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Um, and what I love about this is that the, they come up with the, the, the plan, which is the old plan, master firebending and have him learn all four elements and then face Ozai, uh, before the comet arrives. Um, at least that's the plan here. It, the, the plan changes off camera later. Um, which I was, which is probably one of the only story moments that I've uh, kind of like, why wasn't that in an episode? Like that seems like a, a missed beat. Um, it's one of the, like the only story-based criticisms I have for this show that that decision was made off camera. Um, uh, well that and maybe the lion turtle, but, uh, um, Zuko joining the squad and his whole like, hello, Zuko here, um, is adorable. And I love that quote where it's like, Zuko, you must look inside yourself to find yourself, to defend yourself from your other self. Only then will your true self reveal itself. I think it's a great quote. And I love it. Um, I love that Zuko's uh, joining of Team Avatar is Rocky. I like that he, like, burns Toph's feet and still gets brought into the team. I love that Katara doesn't fucking trust him. I love all that shit. I think it's great. If you give me one reason, like, that you're going to hurt Aang, I will make... You won't have to worry about your destiny any longer. Because I'll personally make sure it ends then and there. Permanently. And I'm just like, this fucking, it's good. It's really good. Um, and it shows a lot of Zuko's moxie that he fucking stays. Because that's, that's a harrowing environment. But he knows. He knows what he's there for. And more power to him. The Firebending Masters. Zuko can't firebend no more because he's not as an angry little pissant. And Aang doesn't know how to firebend. So he's like, well, what about the original masters? Well, those are the dragons. There ain't no more dragons anymore. What about the sun warriors? They worship dragons. They're like the oldest human firebenders. All right, we'll go to the sun sun warriors place. Sun warriors there. Hey, look, some dragons. And uh, Aang and, and Zuko learn the ways of, of the, the dragons. And uh, Aang finally produces fire. And they learn that Iroh learned the secret of the dragons as well. And uh, kept the, the dragons alive. And for some goddamn fucking reason, more dragons show up. And, uh, in Korra, even though we're told that these are the last two dragons, but I still don't know how there are four, more fucking air bison in Korra than, than, because it seems like Appa's the last one, but that clearly cannot be the case because I'm almost positive air bison do not, uh, reproduce through like fucking osmosis or whatever. Like, I don't think that's how that shit happens. Um, or mitosis, who gives a fuck? It's cell replication. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, this episode is fine. Uh, I love the dragons. I love the animation of it. Uh, I love the the jokes between Aang and Zuko. I love Aang's utilization of the cursed monkey feathers, which is something that I've definitely said in the past and will continue to say in the future. Um, it also makes another appearance in the graphic novel. He says monkey feathers in the like double monkey feathers. 
Um, and I love saying like my go-to is biscuits, um, as, as like my, my PG swear word in, in public. Um, and it will not be uncommon for me to go double biscuits or biscuits and gravy. I'll say that too. Um, I don't know. Things, things happen the way they happen. The Boiling Rock, part one and part two. Forgot this was a double parter. And I also forgot it was here. It's your goddamn classic prison break story. It's really good. It's an excellent example of a prison break story. Sokka is worried about his dad, you know, wondering where where he could take him. And Zuko tells him about the Boiling Rock, this prison in the middle of a boiling lake. And they, they fly into there and they crash land, right? They, they've got no way out. They sneak in and they steal guard uniforms. And they're looking around, looking for their dad. Hakoda's not there. They find Suki. And they're like, all right, we got to get Suki out. So they come up with this elaborate escape plan, which would have worked um, if it wasn't for a myriad of things. Um, but they, they decide not to take it because they're like, well, there's a prison transfer coming in. Maybe Hakoda's on there. Um, and then it turns out he is. So they have to come up with another plan in order to get out. And May shows up because her uncle's the warden and uh, told him that Zuko was there and they have they have like a, uh, a they hash it out and they have a relationship fight and it's great and Suki's there and it's adorable and they do all like, there's like a prison ride and they eventually escape but then Azula and Ty Lee show up and Azula and Ty uh, uh, May betrays uh, the Fire Nation to save Zuko and uh, Azula's pissed at her and then she goes to attack May and then Ty Lee attacks her and they're both like arrested and Azula's that's when Azula breaks, by the way. In case you were wondering what causes Azula's mental breakdown, it is the betrayal of May and Ty Lee in that moment that causes Azula to finally snap. Um, and then it's just a complete, like, straight shot down uh, in terms of her, her mental state um, and the, the fragility of that. Um, but, like, her, her, like, she ruled through fear. They were her, like greatest allies i guess you can't even call them friends like those are those were the ones that azula would like utilize in all of her combat and stuff like that and they play such a pivotal role in season two and we learn more about him in season three like may's conflict with zuko and her feelings for him and her feelings for the fire nation and what she's willing to do for the, the person she cares about all of that is incredibly well done like the animation of her eyes when Zuko locks her in the prison cell like I can still see him so clearly like she is so conflicted and hurt in that moment it's awesome storytelling May is fantastic as a character she goes through so much um and the fact that she breaks up with Zuko in the comic book is kind of insane to me but I I presume they get back together because Zuko has kids so something's gotta change at some point maybe it's not May I don't fucking know who the fuck knows? But it's such a great episode and so many amazing character moments happen. It's another great like Sokka story. It's a great Zuko story. Suki comes back and it's like into the fold. All that phenomenal goddamn crap. It's awesome, awesome stuff. And we gotta balance it out, right? We can't have Sokka developing episodes without getting some Katara developing episodes. Um, and Katara is still pissed at Zuko and Zuko asks Sokka like, Hey, what happened to your mom? And Sokka's like, I don't like telling that story, but there was a, there was a, a raid and they killed her. Um, and Zuko goes, ah, it's the Southern Raiders. Well, of course it'd be the Southern Raiders. It's the Southern Water Tribe and they were raided. Southern Raiders. 
Good job figuring that one out, dipshit. Anyway, he goes to Katara and he's like, I know who killed your mom and I'm going to help you find him. And Katara's like, I'm going to go kill this asshole. And Aang's like, well, like, maybe not, though, because revenge is bad. And Katara's like, maybe that's what I need. Get out of my way, Aang. And Aang's like, I wasn't going to stop you, but this is something you need to do. So I hope you make the right decision or whatever. And they, they find the Southern Raider boat and they go and attack it. It's the wrong guy. They're talking about, like, Ron Chan or whatever the fuck his name is. Um, and they go track his ass down. And Katara, like, whips out some crazy-ass firebending where she stops the rain. Um, and Or Yon Ra. Sorry, that's his name. According to the Wikipedia article, it's Yon Ra. And despite Katara's, like, burning rage and revenge, she doesn't fucking kill him. And she's like, you're just nothing. You're not even worth the effort. Fuck you. And uh, she'll never be able to forgive him. But she does forgive Zuko for helping her close, get some closure on that whole chain. And now they're friends and it's very sweet. Also, anybody that ships Zuko and Katara, I don't want to, you know, you're, you're welcome to your own opinions. But that was a ship that, like, I never liked at all. Katara and Aang is, is, is my preferred, for sure. sleepy over here but we gotta talk about one of the funniest fucking episodes of the whole goddamn show if for its premise if nothing else the ember island players is pretty freaking cool um and it's i mean it, it rehashes the whole fucking show on stage pretty comedically and it's uh it's really goddamn entertaining um the, the, the only other thing that happens in this episode is... <sighs> so Aang and Katara's relationship at this point has still been basically undecided. And Aang basically says as much in this episode. We kissed at the invasion. I thought that meant we were going to be together. And Katara basically like hedges her bets. And she doesn't say it outright, but she basically goes, I don't know if you're going to live or die with the conflict that's about to come up. So I don't want to like admit my feelings for you because it'll hurt more when you die because you'll fail. It's basically what she's going for. Um, but she's confused. You know, she doesn't know her own emotions in this in this moment and that is perfectly valid. Fucking who could with so much going on? Um, and Aang does the dumb thing and he tries to kiss her and she's like I just said I was confused and she's like I'm going back inside and Aang makes a fool of himself which of course also makes sense because he's a child what I don't like about this even though this exact situation makes perfect sense in universe um pulling this kind of crap at the 11th hour there's been almost nothing to suggest that Aang and Katara wouldn't end up together the entire show sure a couple of hiccups here and there but they're children but doing it at the 11th hour like this seems like a, a fairly cheap ploy to make some tension of like, will they, won't they? Are they going to end up together? It seems like it may be a network decision more than it does for like a creative one. Um, but that's just me. You know, it's, it's my, I don't know. I feel like the, the show does, it's, it's little smatterings of romance really well. Um... And I, and I love it for that. And this kind of missed the boat for me. I love the Ember Island player episode. I thought it was great. I love that, like, Suki and Sokka are so fucking, like, rock steady. Um, they have a couple of moments themselves, but they're not the main focus, so they don't get a lot of 
uh, time in the spotlight. Good episode. Bad, bad romantic movements, in my opinion. The Ember Island Players was our last glimpse of of uh, peace and quiet before the shit truly begins. Sozin's Comet, the four-part, hour-and-a-half finale of this fucking shit. Goes without saying that Sozin's Comet is one of the greatest finales of any show. It ties up every story beat except for two, and those story beats are pretty inconsequential. One, the location of Sokka's sword. I don't know if we ever find that out. I will be reading the graphic novels, and as soon as I find out, I'll let you guys know. Um, and the reality of whatever happened to Zuko's mom. That's it. And then I suppose the the general what happens next question. But that question is answered in part thanks to Korra. And so- or Zuko's mom's question is answered in the graphic novel. And I don't know about the sword. But regardless of whatever unanswered questions there were at the end of this show... It did not bother me the way some other endings do. And it's not because I like this show less. It's because this show was so well constructed and so well put together that this finale really does tie it up with a nice little bow. And you have this perfect golden example of a three season show that set out to tell a story, has incredible character growth and development, amazing action and animation, some really funny moments, great music, great and you know everything emotionality to it and it's just done and it's there and it's perfect and it's solid and you can just watch it and enjoy it and have fun with it let's break it down they decide not to fight Sozin or Sozin Ozai before the comet arrives and Zuko lets them know why that's a terrible fucking idea because Ozai is literally going to burn the earth kingdom to the ground he is going to lay waste to the entire continent while Sozin's comet is around and they're like fuck well, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta go fucking get, get him before that shit happens. And, uh, Aang is like, but I can't, I can't kill, I can't kill him. It's against, uh, I'm a pass, I'm, I'm against murder. Um, and he's drawn to a mysterious island, um, with like some weird chanting. And Momo goes with him. And they wake up and realize Aang isn't around. And they're like, well, fuck. All right, well, we got to find him. Let's go talk to June. June's real good. And June can't find him. Because apparently he doesn't exist. Um, And Ozai is ramping up to go get that fucking dirty Earth Kingdom. They've been standing strong for too long. And he he's like, Azula, now you're the fire, you're a fire lord. She's like, well, what are you? I'm the Phoenix King. And we were just like, oh, shit. All right, well, that's... That's some next level shit. And Aang wakes up on a mysterious island. Then the next episode happens. Aang seeks uh, guidance from his past. I'm reading the Wikipedia articles over here just to kind of remind myself what the hell happens in each specific episode. It blends together so beautifully that it almost doesn't matter that they're different episodes. Um, But they're different episodes. So Aang consults his past incantation. He talks to Roku and Roku's like, you gotta be decisive. He talks to Kyoshi and Kyoshi's like, you gotta kill that son of a bitch. Talks to the waterbender. The waterbender is like, I don't know, man. Do what you want. Then talks to the airbender. The airbender is like, you got to put the world above your personal beliefs, bud. And they're all telling him he's got to fucking murder him. Ugh. Meanwhile, 
um, uh, they go, the rest of everybody, uh, since they can't find Aang, they're like, well, we got to find somebody who can fight Ozai. And Zuko's like, there's only one person who can fight Ozai. Um, and that's my uncle Iroh. And so they go to Ba Sing Se and they run into King Boomy, John Jong, uh, Master Paku, Master Dao, and Iroh, all members of the Order of the White Lotus. And we finally realize that the Order of the White Lotus is an, a secret order that transcends the Four Nations um, to bring balance to the world. It's basically the masses being the Avatar. It takes the idea of the Avatar and extends it into a secret society. Um, and I love this with all my heart. I love the White Lotus. I loved its slow and steady integration throughout the show. It was an incredibly slow burn and it culminates into a tremendously badass sequence of the White Lotus. Uh, oh, what's the term? Uh, fuck. They go in and they not rejuvenate. They not release. They reconquer bossing. Say they release bossing. Say there's a specific term for it. Um, they go in there and they fuck my ass. What do they do? They, uh, God fucking. So bossing say is occupied. I mean, they free bossing say, but that's not the word I want. I'm not going to come up with it, but they, they go in there and they, they say bossing say from the fire nation and it's fucking amazing. Um, uh, excuse me. Also, Iroh forgives Zuko, like, basically on sight. And he's like, I was never angry. I was afraid that you lost your way, but you found it again. Um, and somebody pointed out that at this point, Iroh doesn't know that he, like, Zuko joined Team Avatar and he trained him in firebending and he did all this awesome shit. He doesn't know that. All Iroh knows in this moment is that his nephew apologized. That's it. That's all Iroh needed. Iroh is the greatest character in this show. Full stop. Hands down. I will fight you. Bring it on. And team split up. I decided to go do uh, different things. Zuko and Katara decided to go face Azula at the Royal Palace. Saki. Saki. Fucking close enough. Sokka, Suki, and Toph decided to go after the airship fleet. And the white... Uh, liberate. That's the term. Thank you, Wikipedia. White Lotus go to liberate bossing set. Um, Aang, meanwhile, having listened to his old, old past lives, decided to, you know, he's got to go kill him. Discovery he's on the back of a giant lion turtle. Uh, and he swims around to the face of the giant lion turtle. And that lion turtle, um, goes like, he says something. Um, and then he touches Aang and he, Aang glows. Um, and later on, when we flash back to the lion turtle, lion turtle says something completely different. And that's why I have a problem with the lion turtle. Not that he doesn't make sense in the lore because the Lion Turtle was actually established in Season 2 in uh, Wan Shin Tan's library. Very briefly do we see a glimpse of the Lion Turtle, but they're they're established a long time ago. Um, but my issue is that what the Lion Turtle says to Aang in that episode is different from what the Lion Turtle says to him later. And then there's even additional lines. Like, we don't hear all of the Lion Turtle's conversation, but it seems like we were supposed to. Because when the lion turtle goes like, your spirit has to be strong, otherwise you will be corrupted and lost forever. That should have been said earlier and not then. Um, that being said, I did struggle to understand exactly what the lion turtle was fucking saying to him. Um, 
So perhaps I just missed it. But whatever. Anyway, at the end of this episode, Sozin's Comet arrives and Ozai prepares to destroy the Earth Kingdom um, and the Avatar. And he's the Avatar is standing on like this cool rocky plinth and all that stuff. <sighs> Azula is losing her fucking mind at the beginning of part three, right? She banishes like every fucking buddy because she is convinced they're going to betray her just like May and Tylee did. Sokka, Toph, and Suki arrive uh, to get on board the airship fleet before it lifts off. And they actually dispatch the airship fleet pretty easily without much concern, without much, like, loss. Indeed, the only casualty to that, I think Sokka breaks a leg uh, and loses his sword. And that's it. Nobody else dies. Uh, but it's pretty fraught. Like, that's a, that's a fairly high octane series of events. Um, but it all happens a-okay. And Ozai and uh, Aang uh, begin to begin to fight, and it's fucking excellent. It's such a fun fight sequence. Indeed, this fight sequence, and then the the Agni Kai between Zuko and Azula are fucking incredible. And Iron the White Lotus going to liberate Bossing Say uh, once and for all. We have three incredible fights happening simultaneously, and the show expertly bounces back and forth between them and they're great like Zuko has the upper hand on Azula but then Azula tries a dirty trick to lightning uh Katara and uh Zuko takes the hit instead um and like that's not even culminated in this episode and and Ozai and Aang are fighting and Aang is is giving it all he got but he's terrified of Ozai and he's not getting it so he starts to like run um but Ozai like corners him and then you've got uh, the White Lotus and Iroh wiping out Bossing Say, and Iroh is just whipping out these huge fucking fire blasts thanks to Sozin's Comet. And they do. They liberate Bossing Say pretty fucking quickly, pretty fucking easily. Um, and it's a, it's a great goddamn moment. And it's such a wonderful closure to Iroh's character, being the one to liberate Bossing Say when he was the one that was originally supposed to take it for the Fire Nation. It just, full circle, it's gorgeous and beautiful. The final part. The final part, the final episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Sozin's Comet Part 4, Avatar Aang. Bossing Say is free. Sakasuki and Toph disable the, the Fire Nation attack with the with the boats. Katara takes over fighting Azula and eventually chains her up and freezes her. And then Azula does the whole like... She basically like just bursts into tears because she is finally snapped and is gone. Like that moment sticks with me too because it kind of clings to your ribs with it. it's kind of uncomfortable um but it also makes a lot of sense for azula's character to to kind of fall that far um and i'll be perfectly honest the fact that we see azula in the graphic novel surprised the ever-living hell out of me because i was convinced it was just be like and that's it man we'll never hear from azula ever again nope i was wrong azula does show up so that was that was surprising but i love azula's arc um she was a product of her dad like she was like manipulated and brainwashed into believing all of these things. She was cruel and decisive and malicious and vindictive. And she didn't trust anybody, but those she did trust, she trusted just enough, just enough that when they betrayed her, it destroyed her. And that was it. That's all it took. You know, you, you think you're all strong and that you're an island, but whoever you let onto your your island because you do even if you don't think you do you do if those people burn you that's it and you're just fucking destroyed 
And that's what happened to Azula. Um, and Zuko gets hit by lightning, but then he's fine. Um, and then Ozai, in his continuous attacking of Aang, causes Aang to enter the Avatar state, unleashing just some more fucking dope shit. Um, and eventually he corners Ozai, and instead of killing him, because he can't do that, he uses what is known as energy bending, taught to him by the lion turtle off camera, fuck you, uh, to take Ozai's bending away, which is a great ending to that story. It makes perfect sense for Ang's character. I love that it... In, in other circles, I might be mad that they just throw this shit in there out of nowhere. That it's like, where the fuck? Why the fuck? That's just... They need new shit to take care of Ozai. It's stupid. It's bullshit. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a ton of sense. Because, like, the Avatar is spiritual as well as physical. And being able to manipulate the spiritual energy within people's bodies makes a lot of sense for the Avatar to be able to do. And Legend of Korra builds upon that and confirms it way stronger. So it makes all the sense in the world. I just wish that lying turtle told Aang this on camera. That's my only qualm with it. I have no issues with how that comes to an end. I think it's fucking brilliant. And it's it's phenomenal. Um, Zuko becomes the new Fire Lord. He and Mei get back together. Um, he goes to confront Ozai and goes like, where is my mother? And then we find out about that in the comic books. Tylee becomes a Kyoshi warrior, which is adorable. Um, and then later on, they all celebrate at Iroh's tea shop. And there's some great final moments. It's like, my belly's not that big anymore. I've really trimmed down. And then Aang and Katara embrace and kiss under the sunset. What's interesting about that scene is that it feels like it's tacked on, right? Aang and Katara stare off into the sunset and the camera fades out and it feels like that's it. And then it hard cuts to like Aang and Katara facing each other and then they kiss. Like, it feels like that was added afterwards where they did like testing of like the early showings and everybody was like, you gotta have them kiss. Like, you can't end the show without them doing that. Um... And, and it ends with them kissing and then it, it fades out and we get the, the whole like the end title screen and and that's it and so ends my all time favorite animated show full stop seen a lot of animated shows I've seen a lot of shows this one's probably it's 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 fucking up there if not the one like, what's your favorite show? Like, not I can't think of anything that beats it. I can think of things that come close in terms of its importance to me. But in terms of near perfection of a show, with the storycraft and the characters and everything, like the things I look for in a show, it does such a good job. And it still holds up. It's still blows my mind after all these years um that being said I, I, like if somebody was like hey do you want to watch it again like would i start watching it right away no probably not and it's again it's not because it's a bad far from it one of the best shows ever made i just know it so well that's one thing i'll say for it there's i did pick up a couple of things that was new in a, in a repeated viewing, like the, the lion turtle showing up in Wan Shi Tan's library. That was something I noticed. 
Um, a couple of other hints and pieces with the White Lotus, uh, like kind of moving forward. Those sorts of things I picked up um, upon re repeating viewing. But I don't know how much else the show has to offer in terms of new stuff for me. Um, I'm just thrilled that A, the show exists. B, that the show spawned so much additional material, not only with the graphic novels in Legend of Korra, but Avatar Studios and all that stuff. I think it's, it's going to be really cool. And I am one of those people who is legitimately excited for the live-action remake of Avatar The Last Airbender. Because my my stance is, will it be different? Yes. By by sheer definition of them doing it again, it will be different. Um, but the original show will still exist, and the original show is perfect. So I, I will be excited to see a new interpretation of it. Um... If it's a shot-for-shot live-action remake, well, then that works, too. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And if it sucks, it sucks, and we just stop watching it. Easy peasy. Let them try. Let them try to recapture that fucking magic. I would like to see them try. And uh, as you could probably figure out based on this episode, yeah, I'm already watching Legend of Korra. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm almost done with the second season of it. Um, since those seasons are a lot shorter, I'm probably going to talk about more than one season at a time. Uh, and and we'll do that. I'm not sure if I'll give Korra the whole, like, episode-episode breakdown because of reasons. Um, I think I'll talk about Korra as, like, show arcs. So I think Korra might get, like, one podcast episode. We'll see how it goes. Um, but thank you all very much for listening to my season-to-season breakdown of Our Last Airbender, my all-time favorite animated show. And uh, I will see you all next week for us to talk about Korra. Have a good one, everyone. <laughs>